The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Uh, let's turn to Scripture as we turn our hearts and our ears to hear God's Word in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read three verses, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the, and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been now announced to you through, though, though, th through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So these few verses, if you've been following with us in 1 Peter, are really kind of a digression of Peter, the author, the Apostle Peter, as he is done talking about the blessings of salvation, and before he's going to talk about now the application of our salvation. And so we just got talking about the already not yet. We talked about this last week. The already blessings of the gospel, that we have been born new, that God has accepted us, that we are born to a living hope, that we have present blessing. I mean, the gospel blessings are now. We are in a new relationship with God. But then there's also a not yet to the gospel, isn't there? There's, there's something we're waiting for. There's still a blessing that has yet to come, a full fulfillment uh, and realization of God's inheritance of eternal life with Him. And so normally, when you read the Bible readers, uh, they say, here's what the gospel is. Here's what Jesus has done for you. Now go and live in light of that gospel. Go and live in light of that new life that you have. But Peter pauses, and these three verses are really a pause. And that's why I wanted just to isolate these verses and walk through them this morning with you in verse 10 to 12. And here's why it's important to pause, because we're bridging what has been done for us and what we are to do in response to that. And we need to bridge. So let me, let me use an example of that, an analogy for you that you might be able to understand. Uh, think of sales calls and telemarketers and cold calls and things like that that you might get on the phone. And maybe it goes a little something like this, uh, for me anyway. You answer the phone, they say, hello, Mr. Rearman, how are you today? Fine. And you know what you're about to get into. Glad to hear we have some exciting news. There's a low subscription cost for the weekend delivery of the Arizona Daily Star for select homes in your neighborhood. We'll go ahead and set you up to receive Saturday and Sunday delivery. Can you just uh, affirm your... Do you still, still live on Harvester Drive? And you're like, whoa, 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 what is going on here? And before you know it, you're paying $40 a month. Sorry if you work for Arizona Daily Star. Anybody here? <laughs> you're paying $40 a month for a paper that goes from your driveway into the garbage with the rubber band still attached on it, okay? And so there's this explanation, this bold statement. Here's what we have. Let's go ahead and get you set up for that. And you don't know what's going on. Well, Christianity... And what Peter's doing here, and the good news of Jesus, it's not a, it's not a trick. It's not this well-orchestrated scheme. It's not this cunning enterprise to try to get more converts, more believers, but an eternal truth of God, the one true God of the creator of the universe. It is the exclusive way, the exclusive truth, the only source of everlasting life, apart, apart from which people are, are lost and separated from God forever. And we're thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What just happened? What are you telling me here? And so Peter 
as a good communicator that he is, he, he anticipates the questions and concerns of his listeners, his readers, the people that he is writing to, and he pauses for them. And they may be thinking, you've got to back up a minute. What are you saying? This is the only way? This is the real truth and part from which, I mean, we are lost forever? What confidence do we have in this kind of message, in this kind of, this kind of message that's being preached to us? How do we know this is truth? After all, it's describing the only way to salvation. What if it's wrong? I mean, it, it is telling us that it demands of us our entire life, that we are to pick up our cross and die, that this may lead to our physical death and persecution. People are hating us, they're rebuking us, they're, they're demeaning us, we're being marginalized as Christians in our society, we're being made fun of, we're not really popular right now. Are we wasting our time? Is this really what we should give our time to? What if we die and all there is is just nothing? And Peter cares about these questions. He cares about these concerns. And he's just be done with telling us that you have been born again to a living hope. And all the suffering that we go through is, is okay because we, we endure it as ones who have hope and if we do endure it by faith, a genuine faith, we will not be put to shame. And his listeners are saying, but what if it's not true? And we're wasting our time. And so Peter pauses, because these are big claims. He pauses to defend the scripture. He pauses to defend the gospel. He pauses to defend the truth of Jesus Christ. And so let me pause with you as well, as we pause in this digression, these few verses that are so important. We should not move on to applying the gospel because we should be asking, yeah, what if? Yeah, they've got a good point. What if, what if this isn't the only way? I mean, come on, this collection of writings? I mean, what if these people were, were just great storytellers? Let's pause for a minute. The Bible claims to tell the whole story of the universe. If we understand it correctly, we will see that it is an exclusive way to God. It claims that God made all things and, and all that there is and rules over all creation as a king, as a sovereign king of it all. We rebel against God and every time that we, in our thoughts, in our, our actions, in our uh, feelings, our words, there's, anytime there's inconsistency in who we are and what we do, with the will of God and his revelation to us, we sin, and this sin leads to death. It leads to us becoming objects of God's anger and wrath and punishment. But God, in his mercy, he causes us to be born again to a living hope on the basis of the perfect sacrifice and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him by faith will not only be saved from God's anger, but we'll be united with God in relationships so intimate and personal that we'll be with Him forever in inexpressible joy. And the person who has a genuine faith will increasingly become more and more like Jesus, resisting sin and growing in righteousness, and will express their love for God through, through praise and obedience to Him forever. And it gives us good reason to say, wait a minute, back up. So I just told you that's, that's, this, is, this is what the Bible says. These are the exclusive truths and claims of the Bible. And so I have a question for you. 
and you believe this? I, I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> why do you believe that? I mean, seriously, why do you believe that? I mean, if you really understand the Bible as it is, these are some very difficult things to, to understand. Is the story of the Bible the one that you believe the whole world should believe? Or is it a story among other stories with equal merit that each person should discern for themselves as the path that best suits their time period, their, their personality, their goals and perspectives and passions in life? Is the Bible and its message one of many uh, meritable stories? And if it's not, if it is the story of the whole world, then isn't this a story that we should believe that every single person, no matter of their background or heritage or perspective or passions or life stage or position, should embrace? So the def Peter is saying, yes, this is the story of the whole world that the whole world should embrace because it is the true story. And his listeners are saying, well, how do we know? And this is a really great, great question to ask, and he anticipates it. It's a great, great question for our time as much because the credibility of the Bible and its values and its perspectives then and even now are under scrutiny. They're under questioning. They're, under, they're brought into question. And so then in this pause, the passage is short, but the meaning is so important. And this is it. And this is what Peter will, will defend in these just few verses. And I'm going to give it away to you right now, and then we're going to talk through it just a bit. Here's the message in this, in this short passage. That salvation by grace is the greatest theme in all of history. Not just the greatest theme in all of scripture, but the greatest, the greatest theme that history has ever known. And it is the main theme and driving theme of all of scripture. And Peter is going to defend this. The Old Testament prophets, they, they knew that Jesus was coming. They anticipated it. They knew about Christ. And they knew that God would send somebody into the world to save us from the greatest thing that we needed. Save us from God's anger and wrath. The greatest thing we needed was our salvation. And God was going to send someone, the Christ, the Messiah, to come into the world. They knew this. It was the most important thing in the world. That God had a plan and he was sending someone into the world to save the world. What could possibly be more important? Can you think of a theme more important than the salvation of the world and our souls. There's nothing more important. And God appointed spokespeople, spokesmen over his word and over his revelation. He appointed people to tell of this message. These were prophets. And they searched carefully and inquired carefully and diligently who this Christ would be and what time he would come and the circumstances surrounding his coming. They looked for him diligently. The prophets, they were, they were, like, they were like reporters. They were they investigated history and investigated actual events that happened. They knew someone would come into the world, and they actively and carefully searched for his coming. That's what their job was. They didn't just wonder. When the Bible says they inquired and, and carefully and searched diligently, it wasn't they were just like, oh, that's really great. God's going to send someone. I wonder when. But they were actively involved. How do you think of the prophets of old? You know, often when I think of the prophets who God gave this message to, I often think of them as being 
men in a trance of the Holy Spirit, just kind of being carried along by the Holy Spirit and just kind of bringing a message, you know, like something like, like Weekend at Bernie's or something. Just like they're just being carried along and they're just, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm bringing the message of God. What's happening to me? Right? I often think like that, but that is so far from the truth. These were men that received the word of God through the Holy Spirit and they inquired of it diligently. They were active. They had an active role in finding out, is this credible? Is this true? Does it have merit to these, these revelations? And they searched so intently to understand these predictions. And you know what they found out? They found out through their searching that Jesus is the goal of all of history. Connecting the dots, they would realize that all of history, all of creation, the whole goal was to find its meaning in Christ. And, and finding out when would the time come when people would know who this is? And when would he be here? All along and in every way, all of history was meant to prepare the world for Jesus. In particular, his sufferings and his subsequent glories, as our passage said. You know, Jesus rose from the dead, and that morning that he rose from the dead, he, there were men who witnessed Jesus' ministry and his life and death and dying on the cross. And that morning, uh, of Jesus' resurrection, they were walking on the road to a town called Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them. He kind of meets up with them as they're walking. And they were obviously very sad. And they're just bummed out. And they're, they're, they're just recalling the events of that, that weekend, of that year, of Jesus' ministry. And, and Jesus approaches them and says, you know, in so many words, he says, what's going on? What are you guys, what are you guys talking about? And, and, they, and they say, you seriously have no idea what's been going on? We really thought that this guy, we really thought that Jesus was the one we were waiting for, that the prophets were talking about. We really thought that he was going to be the one to save us. And just a few days ago, we saw him killed. And we're just really, we don't know what to do now. Do we go back to work? Do we just go on with our life as business as usual? Do we wait for someone else? I mean, we really don't know what to do from here. And you know what Jesus said to them? And I'm going to paraphrase. And he says, didn't you listen to anything in church? That's what he says to them. Haven't you read your Bible? Didn't you know that the Christ who would come would have to suffer and die in order to be glorified? Didn't you know this was supposed to happen? Why have you not been listening? This is what he says to them. And with being with them and opening up the scriptures and he breaks uh, bread with them, and at that time, it burns within them. Their hearts and their minds are open to the truth. And they realize that Christ is alive, and then he disappears. And they go to the disciples and tell them what has happened. And it's made, it's made known to them the reality of what is going on, that all of history was, was meant to point to Jesus. The greatest theme, theme in all of history is that God would die so that those who deserve to die because of their sin would live to eternal life in him. This is the gospel. If we want to understand the Bible, we must read it through this, these two themes that Peter introduces of Jesus' suffering and his glory. You want to understand the Bible and everything in it, we need to read it through the lens of Jesus' suffering and his glory and see that all of history is meant to point to him, the salvation by grace that is in Jesus. It says, think about, think about the Garden of Eden, that, the, the, that because of sin, there's a curse has come into the world, 
and dysfunction and brokenness, and, and the serpent would, would, would bite the heel of Mary's offspring, but this child to be born would crush the head and defeat evil. We're supposed to see in that the that this is Jesus, that Jesus would be born and he would suffer, but he would ultimately have victory. We're supposed to see Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days, and we're supposed to see Christ in the belly of the earth dead for three days, but that he would rise from the grave to proclaim life and good news and repentance. We're supposed to see God's people in Egypt in slavery and the promise of the Passover lamb that is slaughtered for their salvation. And we're supposed to see Jesus as the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb who has bled for us, that whoever believes in him would live. We're supposed to see all of Scripture, and it goes on and on and on, through the promised Messiah, the salvation is by grace, that God would die for sinners so that sinners could live in him by faith. And there are still so many of us that don't listen to anything in church. And I'm gonna, we'll come back next Sunday. And we'll, I don't know, we'll do a two-for-one or something. And we'll do the same thing next week, okay? Well, I'm going to tell you again that salvation is by grace. We're going to preach this gospel again, and yet we're going to forget it. And we're going to still try to earn and work for our salvation. We're going to neglect the whole theme of history and the theme of Scripture that God has told us and revealed to us, and we're going to try to earn God's love, and we're going to be crushed by uh, people's uh, thoughts of us, and we're going to look to try to find our identity in our work, or in our money, or in our relationships, or in our glory and praise that we get from other people. And we're going to forget to find our hope in Jesus. And here's our diagnostic test, if we think, well, have I forgotten the message of Scripture? Do I understand the gospel? And here's your diagnostic test. If your self-view is based on how well you live up to your standards or the standards of others, then you don't get the gospel. When you're criticized, it goes to your heart and you are crushed. Or when you're praised, it goes to your head and you become proud. Then you don't get the gospel. You don't get the theme of all of history. That everything was meant to point to the suffering of Christ, that he suffered because we deserve his anger, but he is glorified and we are accepted based on his merit and his record and not ours. If you really know the gospel, the salvation is by grace, why do you still live the way you live? Why do your troubles continue to overthrow you in your life? Why do you doubt and become dejected because of the circumstances in your life? What is the gospel? You know, some may look at it like this as they read through Scripture and they may understand the gospel in a sense like this. Well, they say, well, I don't know about heaven or hell and, or the wrath of anger of God and I don't believe in the historical accounts of Scripture and I'm still working through that. I don't know if, if it's the right religion or not or if it's the only way, but that's not really important to me. What I like and know is I like that it shows me the way to live I, I like it that it shows me how to live a better life that God desires. If we read the Bible like that, looking at it, trying to live up to its morality, we will be crushed by it. I mean, we will be utterly devastated by it. We will be devastated by what it says 
to us because it will say to us, you're trying to, you're trying to follow the rules, are you? You're trying to follow Jesus and live up to his moral teachings. You're trying to be a good person. Good luck. You don't realize how often you fail. You don't realize how bad you are. You know, everyone that came to Jesus with that mentality of like coming to him and saying, I'm attracted to you, I'm drawn to you by the life that you live and the person you are and the good teacher that you are and I want to be more like you. Everyone that was drawn to him, they leave in really in, in, in one of three ways. One, they leave sad because Jesus gives them a, a standard of morality that they know that they cannot live up to. And they leave sad and they're, and they're depressed and dejected because they're like, man, I thought I had it, but you reminded me of something that I didn't live up to, and now I don't know what to believe. Or they left angry because Jesus would give them, he would, he would rebuke them. He would expose their, their idols in their life. He would expose their sin, and they didn't want to hear it. And so they were angry at him and threatened to kill him. Or they lived as changed people. They lived as, they lived as transformed people. Because they are transforming, trans, uh, they're changing their record or, or hope in their record to the record of Jesus. And so they approach Jesus with a standard of morality. They realize that they cannot live up to it, and then they trust in him. And to those people, Jesus says, like the person on the cross hanging next to him, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You realize that you are wicked. You realize that you are a sinner. And you realize that I am your hope. That's the gospel. Any other way to approach Jesus will leave us devastated. Any other way to read the Bible will leave us confused and devastated. And we care about our morality because of the gospel. The Bible does talk about morality, but it's not the main theme of the Bible. It talks about relationships, but it's not the main theme of the Bible. We care about morality because... Because of the gospel, we desire healthy relationships with others because of the gospel. Because it enables us and empowers us to live lives that God desires, but not as the hope of our life and our salvation. The gospel of salvation by grace says this, I am so bad in God's eyes that he had to die for me. And I am so loved in God's eyes that he was glad to die for me. This is the gospel. This is the theme of the Bible. And we can't read it in any other way. If we desire to know history and why God does what he does, we have to understand that this is the theme of all of history, that Jesus is the hope of all of history, that all of history and creation was meant to find its fulfillment in Jesus. This is interesting. It says the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Jesus planned and predicted his own suffering and glory. The prophets caught wind of this and marveled at it. And you know what they marveled at? was they realized that we, thinking ahead to you and I, that we would be the ones to truly, fully understand this gospel, to know Jesus. That Jesus, before time, planned and predicted his suffering and glory, and there would be a time when mankind would understand this full revelation of the gospel. And they said, those people are lucky. Wow. Wow, those people in history, when this comes, that's going to be so great. And they were excited for us. They were excited for you. Because you would be able to see this. And listen, the angels, 
it says. They see the gospel in, at work in us, and you know what they are? Jealous. Envious of us. Do you see that? It says, these things have been announced to you, things into which angels long to look. They long to look into the gospel and how it works out and how, it, how it's manifested in the life of, of us. You know, in the original language, there's two words to use this, uh, describe longing and this intense desire. One is like a, is an objectional morality. It's this intense, like murderous desire. It's a, long, it's a murderous longing that is wicked and perverse. And then there's another word for desire. It's a kind of desire that keeps a, person, a person's eyes locked into an eye, the eyes of a lover for a long time. There's this longing and desire and hunger for a person. Which nuance do you think that they're using here in our passage? Hopefully the second one, right? And it is true. There's two different words, and he uses this second word. He's, it is not just a, a desire. It is a, an intense obsession with the gospel. Uh, there was this movie called Almost an Angel in the 90s with Paul Hogan, you know, Crocodile Dundee. And he's hit by a car. He's a con man. He's a bad guy. He's hit by a car, and he survives. And he thinks that he must be an angel, he must be favored and, and loved by God, and God is giving him a second chance. But he's almost saying, so he's got, God has him still on the earth, living on the earth, to basically, he's been a bad guy, now God has him on the earth to, to make up for all of his bad days, uh, and make up for all the bad things he's done, and then when he does do all enough good deeds, he will become an angel, which is um, kind of the, the, the pinnacle of, of what it means to be human. And so if a human is good, they work up to becoming an angel. So that's the whole movie. It's incredibly heretical, but it, no. <laughs> but it's got Crocodile Dundee, so it's awesome. Okay? But guess what? Guess what? To be an angel, according to the angel's perspective, is a downgrade from being human. Isn't that awesome? Have you thought of it like that? Probably not. Because usually that's what we think. An angel is like, wow, like, we become angels as a, as a reward. But the angels are saying, no, you got it the other way around. To be you, that's a reward. Why? Because angels are obsessed with the gospel, but they cannot be recipients of it. Angels are obsessed with the gospel for how awesome it is, but they cannot enjoy it because they, they are not sinners, and so they cannot, be, they cannot receive uh, forgiveness for sins. They cannot be recipients of God's salvation by grace because they don't need it. They are not made in the image of God, and so they cannot reflect the life of God in them. They have a job and a task there to, to praise God and to minister to God's elect and His people. They worship God because of it. They are in heaven worshiping God as they look at the gospel and they say, This is amazing. You are amazing. You have written history and it's perfect. And wow, they are so lucky that they get to know this gospel in their life. It'd be great to be them. They long to look. They, and they look at us and they say, you guys have it made. You are the privileged creation. You are the crown of God's affection. Are you obsessed with the gospel like that? The angels get excited about your salvation. And they don't even get to benefit from it. 
how much more should you be excited about your salvation? How much more should you look into the details of God's work in your life and his revelation through all of history to bring this message of salvation by grace in Jesus and be so excited and obsessed with it? How much more should you long to look into the details as the prophets did? Oh man, what is going on here? How did this come to me? We should be like feverishly pouring over God's word and saying, this is amazing that it's come to me. How privileged am I? Because that's what the prophets did and that's what the angels do. If we want to gaze at the gospel like the angels, we must realize where it is that is in the word of God. That's what Peter is saying. If we want to gaze at, if we want to really understand the uniqueness and beauty of God's plan in all of history, we have to go where it is. It's in God's word. It's in his revealed word to us. The prophets knew that there would be a historical moment where the gospel would be manifested in its fullest sense, and it was on the cross. And we read that passage this morning, uh, Hebrews 1, that long ago, there would be, the, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, people that have gone before us, through prophets. But in these last days, He has spoke to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir over all things. Through Him, He also created the world. God is saying, the, the Bible is saying, that the story of the universe revolves around Jesus. So the message of the Bible is not a great message in a collection of good messages so pick your own adventure. There are many ways to God. The Bible is saying, he's kind of taking an exclusive claim. If you want to know the theme of history, you have to know Jesus. And if you want to know Jesus, you have to know the Bible and how he's revealed in Scripture. Something has happened in history that changes everything, and we must respond to it. So do you see why Peter has paused? Because he's telling us, you once were dead and now you're alive and so go give your life to this message. And there's going to be skeptics and there may even be skeptics in this room and there's skeptics in our culture that say, how do we know? I mean, come on, you're asking a lot. You're saying, like, change your life. Give your money, give your time, give your whole life as, a, as an offer, a sacrifice to God. That's going to change things. And you'd say, yes, it would change things. Why? Why would you do that? And if you say, I don't know, then you need to be obsessed with the gospel. And then Peter actually would say later on, he says, let's make our calling and our election sure. Let's know the goodness of how this salvation by grace has come to us. Let's get to know our Bible. Let's get to know this salvation. Let's get to know the gospel and how it relates to all of life not just Sunday, but Monday as we work and family life and as we play and as we watch our kids play sports and as we interact in our neighborhoods and as we pay taxes and honor our government and everything. Let's understand how the gospel affects how we vote, how we interact with sinners, everything. And so here's some tips to gazing at the gospel. Here's what we'll close with to think about how do we get obsessed with the gospel like this. Here's tip number one. Get serious about the Bible and seek it for yourself. Peter is saying that, there, that the place you find this amazing gospel is, is, is in the writing of the scriptures that have been preserved 
and revealed to us. The same Spirit that spoke to the prophets of this, this amazing salvation by grace is the same Spirit that spoke to the New Testament writers. And Peter is saying something very amazing here. He's saying, you know the Spirit that guided the prophets and the people are saying, yes, we understand them well, we respect them, they're our authority. Peter's saying, you need to look at my writings in the same way. So the New Testament writers are claiming Paul did this, Peter did this, uh, Christ um, would, he would, uh, he would quote Old Testament uh, writers validating their message and affirming them as God's authoritative word. The same spirit who spoke to the prophets is speaking to the New Testament writers is the same spirit that speaks to us and illuminates the meaning of God's word for us to understand. Isn't this amazing? The same God and spirit who spoke to the prophets to say, understand this about the salvation of, of God by grace is the same spirit that as we pour over scriptures and we diligently seek and inquire about this gospel is, is the same spirit that's making sense to us as we read it and saying, wow, God, I'm understanding, I'm growing in this, I'm, I'm seeing things come together, I'm understanding how you're speaking to me and how this affects my life. This is great. This isn't just information. This is God working through His Scripture to transform us completely. The Bible never calls us into this blind obedience to just, you know what, just read it and follow it. Do what it says, believe what it says, live like it tells you to live. But it calls us to a faith that rests on a bedrock of eternal credibility and integrity in God's Word. Here's how the Bible writers interpreted Scripture before them in their own writings. That a disbelief or neglect in any measure of God's Word was a disbelief and neglect of God Himself. Do you view the Bible like that? So the writers did. The writers believed that they were writing authority. That if you do not believe this word, then you're not believing God. So this isn't just a message to follow. It is God telling us who he is. And so do you take it that seriously? Do you believe that, wow, this is my authority, my, my supreme guide and instruction for my life? And to neglect it is to neglect God. So that's tip number one. If you want to be obsessed, we have to come to it realizing uh, its, its claims and, and following its claims that it is God's word. Second, don't live off a diet of isolated nuggets or inspirational verses. You know, I'm not an artist, but I appreciate great art. I really do. I appreciate paintings. Uh, I think those are probably my favorite, you know. Uh, paintings and piano players. Like, that's kind of, that's my, that's what I love the most. Um, and I can't do either. Uh, I've been to some great uh, Art museums, the, the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, the, the, the Getty in L.A. And what I love is I love to just stand in front of a painting and just stare at it. You know, kind of, you know, you know how you do it with the, the head cocked a little bit? And you just stare. And it's amazing. And here's what I've kind of figured out. There's a formula to art, good art. You're not allowed to say good art, right? Because it's, it's art. <laughs> you, you know, you can't critique art. No, there is good art and there's bad art. The... The longer you look, the, the better it is, right? The longer you gaze at it, the better it is. The deeper it is, the more complex it is. That's why some of these paintings can go just for astronomical amounts of money. The, these, there's some work of art that is, that where its beauty is bottomless. 
and you stare at it for generations and you just cannot get to the bottom of it. And it's beautiful. The application is endless. And, 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 in the, and the beauty doesn't come all at once, does it? It's, you, you see it as you get deeper and deeper into it. God reveals himself like this in the scripture. We realize that his beauty and application of the gospel is bottomless. And the more we understand, the more we pursue, and the more we inquire, we go deeper and deeper and deeper, and we see its complexity with beauty. And we actually love it more and more, and we love him more and more the more we search for him. And God revealed himself through this over time in the Old Testament. And every time period as he revealed himself through things like appointing kings and through the temple sacrifices and through the Levitical laws and even through times of slavery and through isolated times in scripture, we see this in the whole scope of the gospel and we say, wow, this wasn't isolated at all. This was part of his great revelation, great story. He's, he's showing us the depth of his beauty and the longer we look at it, the, the more beautiful it becomes. And we cannot survive. The point is, is that if we desire to be obsessed with the gospel and to understand God's word, we can't just, just survive on, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And if I start every day with that, I'm, I'm going to know the gospel. I'm not, I'm, not like, I'm not critiquing scripture here. That is a beautiful verse and maybe your favorite. But we cannot live on that. Alone, We cannot live on John 3.16 alone. We cannot live on these just nuggets of information and, and coffee mug verses. We must dig deeper into the beauty of God's word. Number three, apply it to yourself, not just someone else. Here's a phrase that I hear uh, often that blesses me and then like stings me at the same time. That was such a great sermon. I wish my husband was here. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. I wish you would have applied it to yourself. Do you see that the Bible is a letter from God to you? It is a letter from God to your spouse, your roommate, or coworker as well. But it is a letter from God to you personally. Do you listen? Do you absorb? Do you reflect? Yes, your, your spouse needs to hear God's word. Your, your neighbor needs to hear God's word. But you need to hear God's word. You need to be changed by it. And there is another way to apply it personally, and that's this, number four, is to seek more than information, seek transformation. There's a whole generation of adults who grew up, and um, many of you are in this world, uh, in this room today, grew up on PBS and the show called Reading Rainbow. You're familiar with it. I'm talking to you, 1983 to 2000, great couple decades, am I right? Um, and just to have a little fun, can we just, can we just soak it? Can we just... Okay, that's good, Greg, thanks. Okay. How good do you feel right now? You're thinking, very good. Can we just, you know... Every episode, every episode featured right, book, a book, right? A, a, a core book that they read through, and LeVar Burton, would, he would go on other places, other countries, other, other states, and he would go on, on site and teach people about customs and... And, and traditions, and everything was narrated through this book, and the whole story, I mean, it just included interviews with people, and you learned something, you were part of this book, and then in the final segment of the show, every single week, LeVar Burton would say, if you like this book, here are some other books you might like, but 
don't take my word for it. Thank you, Ray. You guys know it. You're just afraid, okay? <laughs> but don't take my word for it. And in a, and then a handful of kids would give like 30 seconds on their favorite book, and they would talk about it, and then they would go to the next book. And, and, and I was reading recently this interview with LeVar Burton, and, and they were talking about this. And, you know, he produced the show, and he, he hosted the show. And, and they were, it's a, just a hugely, huge, you know, successful show. What was your heart behind this about reading and things like that? And they were so excited, and they say, thank you so much for being a champion for literacy and helping kids read. And he said, that's not my goal. He said, my goal isn't just to get to kids to read. You can get kids to read, but my goal isn't literacy. And he said, when we talk about literacy, we're usually talking about knowing how to read. But there is a person who knows how to read, and then there's a person who loves to read, who identifies with the written word in such a way that they become empowered, and the world is opened up to them. When we come to the Bible... Don't come to it just learning, just wanting to know information, wanting to be biblically literate. Come to God's word wanting to be transformed. This was the heart behind this successful programming of Reading Rainbow, that kids would love to read, and in reading, they would see the beauty of the world that was before them. So what if you can read? So, you, so you're smart, so you can brag, so that you can point out faults to other people. Oh, you haven't read, um, you know, Mr. Bear gets a new pair of socks? Well, <laughs> I totally have. That's how Christians connect. Oh, you don't know your Bible? Well, shame on you. Who cares if you know your Bible? Are you changed by it? I'm sorry for yelling at you. <laughs> so you have information. So you're smart. So you can quote scripture on a dime. I don't care. And God doesn't care. But do you come to the Bible saying, would you change me? Would you transform me? Would you make me new? That's what we should go to the Bible for. Some people, we come to the Bible seeking two different things. We come seeking to be smarter, seeking information, or we come seeking to be transformed. And the only way we can actually be changed by the Bible is if we come allowing it to tell us we are wrong and say, you, you got, you're thinking about it wrong you have to allow God to change your heart and your mind. Do you come to the Bible saying, I may be wrong, let me know who you are? Or do we come to the Bible reading it and asking God to line up with our view and our worldview and our perspective and the way that we see the world and see people? And then when we go through those lens, we see things that validate that perspective and say, aha, see, I knew I was right. Or do we come as a broken person wanting to gaze into the beauty of God's gospel? That, that salvation by grace is the greatest theme in all of Scripture, and that means we need it, that we are broken, that we are sinners, but God is merciful and good. That's what the angels see. Are you obsessed with what God says? Have you learned to see all of your life through the lens of Jesus' substitute for you, his suffering for you, and his glory so that we can have glory? Have you learned to identify your life and be, sh and be shaped with, by the gospel in your life? Have you learned to gaze into the beauty of salvation by grace like the angels do? This is fitting that Peter would pause at this moment, wouldn't it? Because you know what we're going to talk about next week? Peter is now going to say, okay, are you with me? The gospel requires of you your life and you need to change. 
That's what we're going to talk about next week. You have to live differently. So it's good, I'm glad, is this makes sense that Peter is saying he's given us this digression to convince us that God's revelation is not just a story, it's not just a scheme, it's not just a telemarketing campaign, but it is the story of the whole world and it is good and beautiful. And if we get it, we will, we will be empowered and we will be motivated to live as he's called us to live in light of the gospel, the salvation by grace. Let's pray.